indeed Jesus cares for each one of us. Thank you so much, Bruce, Brother Ray, and also Danielle on the piano. Rejoicing this morning in how providence works. The songs complement each other. They're planned by different people at different times. The theme of God caring for us is so wonderful. If you would please take your Bibles, your own copy of God's Word, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be looking at, specifically, verses 14 and 15. I'd like to begin by reading, well, down through 16, these three verses, and then going back and reading it in context so that we can understand that these verses are not here just truths and of themselves, but are within the context of the letter and see how it flows. Follow with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Look back to verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, 
which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respects of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your... Hope, faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Our great God, today we bow before you, blessing you. May you indeed be blessed as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that today we are joint heirs with you, that we are your brethren. We rejoice this day as we look to this letter written 2,000 years ago to a church scattered, to a church persecuted, to a church struggling to survive daily life. And we look back at it, and Lord, we give thanks as we look upon our own lives at the abundant blessings that you have poured upon us physically. But Lord, may we also, in the midst of our physical ease, not lose sight of the glorious wonderful, incredible spiritual promises that you have guaranteed to us, that you pour out your blessing upon us. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this day as we look to these verses, that we would remember our inheritance, that we would rejoice and glory in our salvation, 
that we would indeed gird up the loins of our mind and be sober and hope to the end for your grace, that we would look for your return. But as we look for your return, we pray that we would be obedient children, that we would beware, be alert, be conscious of how we fashion our lives and according to what? Great God, holy God, you have called us to holiness. You have called us and set us apart unto yourself. As we gird up the loins of our mind, Holy Spirit, move among us and show us, teach us what that means to be holy. Be with us now as we look at these verses, as we look at your admonition, inspired through the Apostle Peter so many years ago, but yet so very relevant to us today. Holy Spirit, teach us. Be with me as I share. Fill me with your Spirit and use me. Lord, teach us. We need you now. We surrender to you, and we praise you. We love you because you first loved us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we looked at verse 13. It's the transition verse. We need to review it. Wherefore, considering your God, considering your inheritance, considering your salvation, considering the lively hope that we all have, Wherefore, knowing all of that, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, wake up, be sober, and hope to the end. This morning, can I ask you to gird up the loins of your mind, to prepare your mind to work, to think how important it is for all of us to think. The verses here we're going to look at in some ways are familiar to us. And in other ways, we may look at them and think they're not relevant to us. Think. Think. And hope. Keep your focus on the grace that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. As you now look to see commands that are given to us, notice in verse 14, as it begins this transition into very practical instruction, still laying a foundation for all that will follow in this book, it begins by addressing all of us as children. Do you think of yourself as a child? We oftentimes think of ourselves as grown up, and many of us are grown up, but are we really? I also find it fascinating that this admonition here as comparison to children comes immediately after telling us to think. One of the things of parents we could really instill in our children is the ability to think, right? Think. Oh, how important it is for children to think. In fact, it's such a problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it speaks of the fact, Paul writes that when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's this idea of learning to think. But at the same time, you're learning to think. 
Indeed, girding up the loins of your mind and being sober and hoping to the end, be as little children. And what part of little children ought you to be? Obedient children. A few weeks ago on Mother's Day, we looked at the topic of obedience, didn't we? And we focused particularly on children. You know one of the most important reasons why we need to teach our children and children you need to learn how to obey is because it's good practice to obey God when mom and dad aren't there to tell you what to do, when teacher's not there to tell you what to do, when the boss is not there as the taskmaster. You know to obey God. Do we obey God? Do we obey as obedient children? You see, this is fascinating. We need to think. We need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to be sober. That's being alert, being awake, not being lulled to sleep or having our senses dulled by drinking or drugs or anything. Our, 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 our reading habits or our entertainment or our amusements. Be sober is to not allow those things to, to dull our senses or to lull us to sleep. Be awake. To be obedient. To be obedient. And what is the first thing given that we need to be as obedient children in regards to? Let's look. First Peter chapter 14, or chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Now, there's some big words in there, aren't there? Fashioning yourselves. And you see how it comes to the former lusts and in your ignorance? It's got to continue on with verse 15 and 16. In fact, 14, 15, and 16 are all one sentence, all tied back to verse 13. So as obedient children, there is a way we are not to be fashioning ourselves. And that doesn't just mean how we dress, although it does mean that. It means how we fashion, design our lives. It's not according to the former lusts, the former passions and desires that who we were as unbelievers in ignorance, but rather it is in holiness. So it says, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word here, conversation, and not just here, but throughout your Bible, the King James translation, you'll find this word conversation. It does indeed refer to the conversation that comes out of your mouth, but it is not limited to the conversation of your mouth. Have you ever heard the phrase that your walk talks louder than your talk? The way you live is a conversation. It talks. It communicates how you live, and that's what the concept is here. Your conversation is how you live and how you talk. It includes everything that is a part of your life. And is it holy? Really, in order for us to understand verse 14, we need to understand this concept and idea of holiness. 
We've talked about it before, haven't we? Holy is the same word translated as sanctified, which means set apart. Set apart. Now, I've struggled whether or not to embarrass a couple in our church, the newlyweds. Think I should? Can you guys come up here? They're still on their honeymoon, basically. And I'm going to embarrass him. He's my brother. I can get away with this. In a way, the marriage relationship is a beautiful illustration of holiness. Come all the way up, all the way up. I told you I was going to embarrass him. You see, think about it. The idea of holiness is the idea of being set apart. Out of all of all of the women in the world, how many of you set apart as your wife? One. One. Is she special? Oh yes. She's special. Now, in the reverse, out of all the men in the world, how many of you set apart? One. And is he special? Oh, yes. oh he is too. You see, there's now a relationship. He is holy to her. She is holy to him. Do you see it? They're set apart to each other. That's one reason why in wedding vows, we say forsaking all others. That's a declaration of holiness. That's a declaration that I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. They're choosing each other. They're setting apart each other in this sacred relationship of marriage. Now, what's that mean? That means you're going to interact with other women differently than you interact with her, right? A husband is going to do certain things because he is holy to her, right? He's going to make her a priority. He's going to spend time with her. He's going to take care of her. She is, in this context, a part of him. And vice versa. And just as there are certain things that you will do because you're holy to one another, there are certain things you won't do, right? Do you follow it? Because he, because she, they're set apart to each other, there are things that they would not do because of this relationship. It's sacred. It's special. They're holy to one another. Do you see the word? Do you see it? Thank you, guys. We can use the word holy in so many other ways and contexts to illustrate this idea of being set apart for a special purpose. We call this, it's all worn off mine, the Holy Bible. What's the word Bible mean? Book. That's all it means. The word Bible just means book. And so really when we say, um, go get your Bible, well, we really ought to say, well, which one? And the answer to that would be the holy one, the special one, the one that is set apart because it is God's word. All books can be called Bibles, but only the word of God is holy, and it's holy because it is the word of God. 
we treat it differently because of that, don't we? Even just the book itself, we handle with care. I was just looking at mine this morning, and my kids are getting new Bibles right now, and I showed them this one, and I said, it's starting to fall apart. But I've had this for 23 years, and I'm going to see if I can regain it to last for another 50. But yet, at the same time, it's a special book because every day it's a special book in which I spend time. No other book gets that kind of attention to me. But this one does because it's holy to me. There are certain things that I do and don't do because of this book. Here, in fact, is the one given. God says to us to be holy as he is holy. Oftentimes, when we think of holiness, we we may think of Isaiah chapter 6, where those angelic beings closest to the very presence of God cry out in antiphony, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. And we read that as children and as adults, and we stand in awe of the fact that God is holy. There are many gods, little g, and gods in the world. Many are the imagination of man. Many of them are demons. Many of them are just selfish, humanistic, and... uh, selfish spoiling of ourself. But God, the one true God, is holy. He's set apart from all of that, from all of, all of the inferiority in every way. He is holy in his love. His love is unlike any love you can ever imagine. He is holy in his justice. He is righteous. He is holy in his mercy. He is holy in his goodness. He is holy in everything. In every way, he is set apart. He stands set apart. He is set apart. And so when we think of God as being holy, and then we read this, be ye holy, for I am holy, we go, that's not possible. Have you ever thought that? I know I have. I mean, God is holy, and the whole doctrine of God's holiness is that he is totally separate from everything and everyone and in every way. I can't be that because I'm not God. But I can. I can be set apart. I can be holy to him. In fact, in him and him in me. You see, what happens at our salvation is just that. We are called unto holiness. We are set apart by God to himself. Thereby, we are holy. We are holy. Our state, our position, we are holy. Set apart, holy in God. Do we live like it? Are we holy in all manner of conversation? Are we fashioned according to our holiness? Or are we fashioned according to our former lusts? Dearly beloved, if you are of the beloved, 
If you have this inheritance, this lively hope we've been talking about, if you have this salvation, then you are holy. And the question stands here is, are you as obedient holy children? Are you holy in all manner of conversation? You are holy, but do you live holy? As it is written repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, this admonition is given. It's interesting that it comes and is carried through the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, we learn so much of God's holiness. In fact, the whole temple and tabernacle setup was to convey and to communicate to the people how holy God was. And now in this context, we hear it being us, ourselves, being called to holiness. Do we live as set apart unto God? So let's go back now and let's look at 14 and 15. Again, as obedient children, we are holy. So as holy children, are we obedient? That's one of the marks of a holy person, is one who is obedient to God in all ways. Do, do we look to the Scriptures? Do we read the Scriptures to learn how to be holy? Do we look to the Scriptures to learn how we can obey God today? He goes on to then say, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. I love the translation here, fashioning. Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the same Greek word is translated conformed. Conformed. Fashioned. Have you ever thought about the word fashion? We have fashion designers. People who design clothes and design handbags and design cars and design houses and design vacations and design entertainment. You realize that's all fashion. It is all the shaping and molding of things and of people, of clothing, of everything to accomplish something. And so often, we just are fashioned by others or we're fashioned by our culture. You know that just by comparing how we dress here and how people would dress in India. So, so much of our lives are simply because that's the way it is. The way that we dress, the way that we use our time, the way that we use debt, the way that we use the television, the way that we use our phones, the way that we use our free time. We just do it as we're accustomed to. The call here is to gird up the loins of your mind. Think. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just wear what comes out in the newest fashion or three years fashion old. That's how it sometimes works with Christians. We just use the three years old or the four years old or the 10 years old. Wake up. How are we fashioning 
our lives and every part of it. Are we fashioning it just because that's the way it is? Or worse, as described here, are we fashioning it according to our former lusts? What are the words, what are lusts? And what are they, what is the significance of being former? Well, lusts are passions. Lusts are desires. Lusts are things that we like, things that we want. Do you see how fashion and wants are tied together? You notice that? Fashion and clothing, fashion and designing of time, fashion of entertainment, everything is designed. Do we conform ourselves to what's just given us or to what just comes from my own wishes, my own desires? Now, many of you have grown up in a home where your parents have designed, fashioned a culture. Do you ever think about that? Your parents have, have fashioned a culture in your home. So the way that you dress, the way that you eat, the way that you spend your time, these things are somewhat managed and dictated within your home, aren't they? And in many cases, many of you have Christian parents who think. But can I appeal to you today to yourself think? Is your Christianity and is your fashion something that is culture? Just what's normal to you? Or, or is it based upon and have you thought through is it according to God's way? Is it holy? And for many of you in your homes, it is. But is it just culture or is it conviction? You, many of us, at some point in our lives, as we transition from being under the authority of our parents to being directly under the authority of God. We're always directly under the authority of God, but there's a shift of things with parents, isn't there? And we have to think for ourselves, and we have to design our lives. How do we design our lives? So many young people have a hard time going from their lives totally being designed by their parents and their teachers and their professors to having to design their lives themselves. As you are thinking of, and as you are designing your life, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and keep your hope and your focus on the grace of Jesus Christ to be revealed at the revelation. And as you're doing that, design your life in holiness. That is, design it, fashion it, as set apart to God. You are his child. You are his treasure. You, you are in Ephesians described as his inheritance. And so considering the fact that you have this inheritance and considering that you have this salvation and considering that your lively hope is yet coming, is now but yet coming, how do you fashion your life? Do you fashion it according to the lively hope? 
Do you fashion it according to the command to be holy as obedient children? Or do you fashion it because this is just what I want? Because this is just what I want. Do you see the difference? Whenever we're designing our lives or we're looking to purchase something or spend our time on something, we need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to think. We need to be sober. We need to hope to the end. And we need to be asking, is this fashioning me in holiness? Or am I being fashioned by my own wants and passions and desires? And sometimes those are evil. Which is why it calls them former. Because if the lusts are based upon selfishness, if the lusts and desires are based upon my whim or are based in wicked desires and passions, then they ought to be former. What's that mean? They're old. I don't desire those things anymore. In the Psalms, Psalm 37, we have the incredible, beautiful passage where the, psalm, the psalmist admonishes us, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Our former lusts, eh, they're sometimes hard to break apart, aren't they? To break away from. In fact, very often, they're culturally ingrained in us. That's why we got to gird up the loins of our mind and think. And so the psalmist says, delight thyself also in the Lord, which if you're delighting yourself also in the Lord, he will give thee the desires of thine heart, which means if you're delighting in him, your desires are going to be holy desires like him. Does that make sense? Let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I hope you've all memorized this verse. This is a complementary verse to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 14 through 16. Paul is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I beseech you. You know what that means? I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm earnestly requesting and desiring this for you. I beseech you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, there's our word. Holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed, same word as fashioned, be not conformed to this world. Here, it goes to another side of things, which needs to be, which is different, but is complementary in thought or expanding in thought to the former lusts. So we're to be not fashioning or conform to our former lusts, nor are we to be 
conformed or fashioning our lives according to this world. We'll talk about that in a little bit more. But, what's it say? Be ye transformed. Now, this is interesting. Conformed and transformed come from two different Greek words. And they're interesting. Conformed or fashioned has to do with the shaping, the molding of what's on the outside. It changes. It can be changed. But the transforming comes from a Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis. That is the complete changing from the inside out. Like the little caterpillar that turns to a chrysalis and then is a butterfly. That transforming is something that happens on the inside. That's what happens when we delight ourselves also in the Lord, when we trust also in him. He transforms us, here described as transformed by the renewing, making new of your mind. See the themes connected? There's this holiness that we're called to live, this outward way in which we live. You may have heard that God doesn't care what you are on the outside. He cares about what's on the inside. Don't believe it. That sounds nice as a cliche, but it's not true. God cares about the inside and the outside because he knows that the outside is going to manifest what's on the inside. Jesus taught this repeatedly, that the outside manifests what's on the inside. And here he's dealing with both. He's dealing with the outside and the conformed as he's dealing with the inside and the transformed. And this comes about by the renewing of your mind. Isn't it interesting here that this call to holiness of offering yourself as a holy sacrifice is also tied in with your mind? Just like First Peter, isn't it? Gird up the loins of your mind to be sober. Think! Think! But yet, beware! Because sometimes we start thinking, oh my God, it's not so bad. Yeah, this is harmless. Yeah, this is beautiful. By whose definition? By whose fashion? By whose design? This world is intentional of how they design things. Our passions and desires are intentional, sometimes subconsciously, of how they design things. Are we, as obedient children who are offering our lives a living sacrifice, thinking and thinking according to God's way and how we fashion, how we are conformed? And this here, this renewing of the mind is for a purpose that ye may prove what is that is what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a will for you. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, this is the will of God for your lives, even your sanctification. What's that mean? Even your holiness. God's will for your life is your holiness, you being set apart. And so as you are seeking, as you are girding up the loins of your mind and being sober and hoping to the end for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you thinking what is you can prove to be that good and acceptable? And acceptable here is not like Amazon defines it. Acceptable means that received with pleasure. Good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God. Not my former lusts, not even my current lusts, not according to this world, but according to the will of God. How are we fashioning, designing our lives? How are you? Are you being intentional about it, or are you just going through the motions? This is the way I was brought up. This is the way we do things. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you use your free time the way that you use your free time? Why do you dress yourself the way you dress yourself? Why do you watch or listen to what you watch or listen to? Why? Is it according to the will of God? Or is it according to your former lusts? Or are your former lusts your present lusts that should be former lusts? Do you see the point there? Are your present lusts, should they be former? Is a question we have to ask ourselves. And ask ourselves, how are we designing our lives? Now, it's fascinating that this is tied in with the mind. It's also fascinating, if you turn back with me to 1 Peter, that it's tied in with the word, your ignorance. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us that the normal way we think is not the right way. <laughs> I don't like that. Because here's what happens. Have you ever talked to parents? Have you ever talked to a child and, and, and they're doing something that is absolutely stupid and everybody knows it's stupid, but they don't see it? Have you ever seen that? As obedient children, they need to say, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. And eventually, and hopefully, we're teaching them to see it and think of it the right way so that on their own, they can think of it and see it the right way. Is the same true for us as big children? When God says, here's the way it really is, do we say, yes, daddy, you're right. It's not the way I was brought up not the way I really want it to be. You know, I'd really like it now, or I really want this. But as obedient children, yes, Daddy, I'll obey. We have to think, but it's not just thinking our own way. It's thinking God's way. And God knows it's a struggle for us because he acknowledges here that there's a lot of things and ways we think and the ways that we design our lives. And there's a lot of things that are lusts that should be former lusts that are because of ignorance. Ignorance means you don't know. It means no knowledge, ah knowledge. So how do you get knowledge? How do you get knowledge? How do you not be ignorant? How do you make sure that my current desires are not, shouldn't be my former lusts? How do I make sure that my mind, or how do I get my mind to be renewed 
So then instead of thinking the way that I was just brought up or the way that my culture does things or to just because I want to, how does my mind get renewed so that I am thinking and can prove the perfect, acceptable will of God that is good? Well, I'd like to read to you some verses. And we don't have time this morning to exegete all of them. Exegete means to explain them and to draw out the meaning of all of them. But it's very important that you see them in context. Because here in 1 Peter, over in Romans, these are not the only places that these truths are dealt with. And I'd like to show them to you. Beginning first in Ephesians. Turn with me over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Here it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened here means made alive. He's made you alive. He's made you alive. But look how it continues. You're, you were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You see here we have the, our former lust, our own lusts, and here also the world. Walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the ways of Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, here the same idea, way of life, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Do you see this here? You've been made alive. You've been quickened. Why would you walk according to this world or according to the prince of the power of the air or according to the lusts of the flesh and of the mind? You're alive now. So gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end. And be as obedient children as you fashion your lives. In Ephesians, turn with me over to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 17, same letter, carrying the same idea. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth, from this point forward, putting away what was in the past done in ignorance, wake up, think, gird up the loins of your mind, from henceforth, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. Ooh, that's an insult. The emptiness of their mind. We talk about airheads. Are we spiritual airheads? In the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness. This is to just do what feels good. To work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye, brethren, those who have been made alive, those who are in Christ, ye have not so learned Christ. 
If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The renewing of our mind is being taught by Jesus, renewed in Jesus. Do you see it? That ye put off concerning the former conversation. There's our word again. That way of life, the conversation of our words and our deeds and our actions and our thoughts. You put off the former of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Notice the word deceitful about our minds. Think, think. Are our desires deceitful? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness, that which is right, and true, look at the last word, holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy, for I am holy. That you in all manner of conversation, be holy. And then it goes on and gets really specific. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, be angry and sin not, give not place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Just the rest of the whole book of Ephesians, and we don't have time to preach Ephesians today, but the whole rest of Ephesians goes into very specific ways in which we've got to change the way we think. It's not really us changing the way we think. We'll get to that in a moment. Turn with me again over to Titus. First and second Timothy and Titus. Titus chapter 3 carries the same idea. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient. See the contrast? See the parallel? We were disobedient. Now we're supposed to be obedient children. We were deceived, serving divers, lusts, and pleasures. Do you see it? We served them. Not only did we fashion our lives according to them, we made ourselves slaves to them. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, verse 4, but... After the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's key. That's key. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, our minds need to be renewed as we are thinking. It's not just us trying to discuss the philosophers of the world or discuss things with the philosophers in our own lives. Or, hey, I can have multiple personalities and be a philosopher with myself. No, no, no. It's a renewing of the mind. It is, this, it is this that is done with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs to the hope of eternal life. Do you see how it's tied in with 1 Peter? 1 Peter started with the inheritance, the salvation, the lively hope. And then it said, wherefore, considering all of this, think. Ephesians starts by think, and then take your thinking and gear it directing, not towards some self-righteous, look, I'm holy. No. But in this recognizing that it's not about us, it's about the Holy Spirit working in us. The justification is by his grace that we should be made heirs. 
The admonition then continues in Titus. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Don't let it just slip away. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. There's a lot of other passages. I'd like to just read to you a few verses from 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. The admonition is given. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James chapter 1 and verse 27 in tie relation to this topic of the world. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I didn't finish everything there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Let me go back there because it expands on to more details parallel. It says, There love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God, remember that in Romans and all this tied together? Abideth forever. Let me tell you where to start. Let me tell you where to start. It's tied in back with Psalm 37. But turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 17. Really, I want to say chapter 15, 14, 15, 16, and 17, because it's hard to take anything out of that conversation. Beautiful conversation recorded for us in John 14, 15, 16, and 17 between Jesus and his disciples the very night before he was crucified. Did you know he prayed for our holiness? Did you know that? He prayed that we be holy. John 17, look with me, beginning in, in verse 14. It's hard to jump into the middle here, but we shall for sake of time. Jesus is praying. He's praying. He says to his Father, I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Something to keep in mind. So often, one reason why we're afraid to be holy is because we might be weird. You might be. That's okay. It's okay, kids, when you're sitting with other friends and they're talking about a TV show that might have some questionable things in it that you've not seen. It's okay to not have any idea what they're talking about. That's okay. It's not something to take pride in. That's a problem. But it's okay that you don't know. That, that, that's okay. You're not of this world. I hope Christians aren't giving other Christians a hard time for this. Jesus says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. We are not of this world. We are of Jesus. We are holy. We are set apart. Just as Jesus said, he is not of the world. 
He goes on, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. This is important. In your holiness and your being set apart unto God doesn't mean that you go up to a monastery somewhere and hang out isolated from the world. No. Jesus is praying not that they be taken out of the world, but that they be kept from the evil. Oh, how important it is that as we recognize, think, gird up the loins of our mind and know that we're not of this world, that we beware of Satan's traps that will fall us into evil. Jesus continues praying in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He's making a big deal about this. And then he makes the point about holiness. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them. What does sanctify them mean? Make them holy. Make them set apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This will sanctify you. Ephesians chapter 5 puts it this way. The washing of the water of the word is sanctifying us through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. His word is the truth. His word is what we need to think upon. Our designing life, our designer life, needs to be a truth-designed life according to the truth. He goes on and says in verse 18, and this is also key, because again, this isn't about isolation. This is about equipping, girding up the loins of your mind to engage. Watch it. Jesus says here in verse 18, he prays, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them, that's us, into the world. You say, whoa, whoa, into the world? Well, how can I be in the world and be separate from the world? Well, let's use the word holy in the world. And it's not just in the world. You see, there's a phrase, and it's a cliche, of the world, not in the world, right? I said it backwards. We are in the world, but not of the world. Do you know there's a problem with that phrase? Have you heard it? How many of you heard it? We are in the world, but not of it. What's the problem with it? Think. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Think. I know. The sleep is calling us to be sober. That's what that word means. Think. In the world, but not of it. Actually, we are in the world, but notice here that it's not just a state of position. It's a state of action. Have you noticed that? It's not just like, okay, I'm in the world, I'm in the world, but I'm not of it, but I'm going to get as close to it as I can, because, but I'm not going to be of it. No, no, no. You're holy. Jesus is praying that they be set apart, sanctified according to God's word, to be sent into the world, to be the holy one in the world, on a mission. Same mission as Jesus's was. But he knows this is a business that needs separation. Separation is the wrong word. Sanctification, holiness, being set apart. Verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We don't have time to go through this. Just these, these 
five little verses are so full of richness. But look at it. As you gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Be as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to former lusts, but in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, Jesus is here saying he's holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Not just this little area or this little area or this little area. Your whole life, your whole life, be fashioned, be in holiness, for that's what you've been called to, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Think, brothers and sisters, think. We all design our lives, don't we? Some of us more intentionally than others. Are we designing our lives? Are we fashioning our lives? Are we conforming our lives to a holy pattern revealed in God's word, renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, and empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ? Or are we conforming ourselves to whatever? The world, our lusts, our desires, the prince of the power of the air. What are we conforming? What are we designing our life to match? This afternoon, come back. We're planning to have a time of discussion on this. You can imagine where that can go, where we gird up our, the loins of our mind and we actually think. We think. We talk through some of the practicalities of this and answer some questions, dive into some areas. Great God, we give thanks to you this day for your word. We give thanks today for the inheritance that we have, the salvation, the lively hope that we have in Christ Jesus. May we all wake up, think, gird up the loins of our minds and be sober and hope to the end. May we hope in your grace day by day. And Lord Jesus, may we truly, truly, truly be obedient children. We can't do it on our own. We're weak and helpless, and our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But Lord Jesus, may we be yielded and surrendered to you and to your Holy Spirit as we are sanctified, set apart, not in our own definition of righteousness or holiness, but in you, for you are holy, holy, holy. We praise you today as we give thanksgiving that we can abide in you and your words can abide in us. I pray just as Jesus did for our brothers and sisters here. Sanctify them in truth, thy truth, and thy word is truth. We give thanks today and we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.